yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. All right. Live from the gleaming Streamline Studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. The following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen, who probably has something better to do in his life, but hey, he likes a good time. <laughs> Remember that wonderful year, 1979? In 1979, actually, I was in Boston. I was uh, starting graduate school in Boston. And then you were watching the news, and the Ayatollah Khomeini, charming gentleman that he was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was bad timing. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm going to school. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. There was a yeah, revolution. It was a very, very difficult, very stressful time for all Iranians, good and bad. Yeah, we've, uh, we have in common that uh, we have numerous friends and some maybe, in your case, relatives who were happy to be living in uh, Iran at the time of the revolution. And uh, it was very stressful, very painful, and for some people, very deadly. Very much so. Very much so. And uh, I was kind of posed, uh, poised, rather, to take a, a large vacation trip that included going to Iran, and I had to change those plans. <laughs> you, you were going to go to Iran in 1979? Yeah, about then, yeah. It was after I'd gone to uh, Israel on a pilgrimage by pilgrimage. You either, very, uh, <laughs> either have very bad timing or too adventurous. <laughs> yeah, too adventurous. <laughs> yeah. Now, as this is a program called True Crime Uncensored, for those who aren't familiar with the length and breadth of crime worldwide. You have personal crimes, you have state crimes. State crime is when the government of a country or a state or a county commits crimes against its own citizens or the citizens of other countries. And that's what we're going to be dealing with today. And we've dealt with this uh, this issue before on the program of when uh, states commit crimes against uh, its own people or decides it doesn't want those people or decides it's going to keep them to kill them. Is either state state itself or state sanctioned or state inspired? Yes. All three are horrible and uh, very unfortunate, and, and Iranians have been victim of all three. Yes, undoubtedly. Uh, in fact, uh, you have an excellent new book we're going to be talking about called Persian Wars. There's also another yeah. another book called Love at the Cost of Life, which is a great companion volume to yours, which is an oral history of the situation uh, in Iran. Uh, at that time. Uh, and, yeah, I'd love to read that. Well, you should. You should buy it immediately. <laughs> get it on, yeah. on Amazon.com uh, as you get to your own book that is Amazon.com and read it and be impressed. Yeah. Uh, being an author, do you go back and read your stuff and go, gee, I wish I'd written that differently? <laughs> or are you thrilled with it when you read it? Tell the truth, uh, a lot of people have suggested that I, that I, or other that I know right basically uh, the oral story of the revolution. And I just thought it was too ambitious to uh, to dig into something that lofty. And uh, there's this sort of an endless saga and uh, endlessly troubling and tragic. Yes, and what you've done, uh, well, well, it's better to have you tell what it is in your heart and in your talent, what you attempted to accomplish, what you did accomplish in this new book of yours called Persian Wars. What was... The concept yeah. of what have you done? Well, I sort of plunged into it. Uh, I'm not a writer. Uh, I was until a few months ago a painter. And uh, this, this, what I did observe, what I have been observing over the years, is uh, how diverse the Persian population is and how 
well, they've adapted to the countries that they've basically emigrated to, whether it's in, in the States or anywhere in Europe or even as far as Australia, that uh, it sort of shows the resiliency of the people. And I thought it would be useful to kind of document that in some, in some way, of course, in a fictional way. Uh, but it, it sort of goes back to the history of, the, of, of Persia, that forever they've been holding on to their nationality and to their culture and a very deep and deeply rooted culture and they have had to adapt in a very fast way to cataclysmic changes whether it was Alexander the Great invasion or the Arab invasion, the Muslim invasion and they've always managed to sort of pre-unify the changes that have occurred in the country and I wanted to sort of hint at that and uh, in, in a modern context in a sort of everyday uh, lives of, of other people. Uh, I can't tell you these are the people that I know, but the composites of people that I know. And that's what I was going to ask. Any, any uh, true fiction, as we call it, true fiction, is fiction has to be somewhat reality-based. Yeah, you, yeah, you can't escape the reality. But, but, but I can't say, as the other book is uh, is accounting the oral history of individuals who witnessed the actual events. Uh, I can't make that same claim, but you know, I sort of bit, bit some pieces of what I've heard, how people have uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, challenges that they face, the ways that they've adapted to those challenges. Uh, it's, it's, a tale. it's a tale, it's a fiction, but uh, you know, it's, I hope that it collectively does shed a light upon the, the Persian in Iran and uh, abroad in diaspora and uh, so kind of some appreciation for our culture, something that we, should, we Persians should all be very proud of. I, I, I agree with you completely on the being proud of in this diaspora business, the ability to adapt and thrive in a variety of cultures that are often vastly different not only in the social mores, but uh, the communication styles or the relationship style yeah. within these different cultures is vast. I have seen Persians come to America and go immediately to uh, uh, American Indian reservations, which are separate nations within our nation, yeah. and, uh, and be able to relate perfectly to the Native Americans, which I found fascinating. And then others could go to New York mm -hmm. City, or my uh, cousin Sergio Bear, the uh, classical music composer, his family wound up in, uh, 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 what was it, in Mexico or South America, or Central America. Mm -hmm. And still the adaptation of, and thriving was spectacular. Yeah. So there must be and, a, and, uh, a talent. And there is, uh, of course, any, any ethnic group uh, has some, uh, you would call it prejudice or some stereotype behavior that is associated with them. And Persians really don't have one. That's one, another thing that I wanted to sort of bring light on, that there's such a variety of it that you can't say Persians are like that, that, that. Yeah. They're very different. They, they behave differently. Their uh, outlook on life is different. Their relationship with their families are different. But then there's a constancy among them. Uh, for example, the way they've used the language. Uh, in the book, I've used the Persian script. And for those who do speak Persian, um, the common denominator with the, with the stories is that they all have a Persian character and illustrated by the language. But the language is very, very different among the groups that are, uh, that, that these stories about. 
for example, in the traditional uh, story about a traditional family in Iran. And they, the way they speak is uh, making references to a lot of the Muslim saints and, you know, made the hand of, you know, saints and so on, so be under your head. And in uh, Beverly Hills, there were a lot of, sort of very young, sort of, you know, cool, you know, the, the crowd goes in a, hey, hey, gorgeous, you know, but in Persia. <laughs> so it, it's, uh, it's a subtlety of, of what is uh, the subtle expression of that commonality. Fascinating. Can you, you explain to Rolfing, to our audience, you're familiar with that, the ritualized courtesy? Oh, there's so many of them. The, 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 the characteristic uh, is the, the, the language is very floral. Uh, it's a beautiful language, uh, but it's exaggerated. It's a, it's a hyperbolic language. Uh, one of the common, common expressions almost everybody says all the time. It literally means, may I be sacrificed for you or for your face or for your moon-like face. It doesn't make sense in any other language, but the Persians say it all the time. Even to strangers, you know, you, you go to a restaurant, you want to catch the attention of the waiter, and say, hey, may I, may I be sacrificed for you? Will you bring me a tea? It's just peculiar. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, uh, the one of this woman, uh, this wonderful woman came to my home. The Raya Wahid, mm-hmm. and she just uh, come here. Fast. She was from uh, Iraq originally, but uh, similar enough. <laughs> and, uh, I'm sorry, she had just come from Iran. She had come from Iraq, actually, mm-hmm. uh, from Rizwan, actually, is where she was born. Her mother took her out when she was born. Her mother gave birth to her in the Garden of Rizwan outside mm-hmm. Baghdad. Thought that was a clever trick. Anyway, she's a pharmacist, and she had uh, come to the area of Washington State, where I was living at the time, and came in. I said, Thry, would you like something to eat here? We got this, we have that. She said, oh, no, thank you. I said, are you sure? She was just said, no, thank you. I'm fine. I didn't ask her a third time. Poor woman about starved to death. <laughs> she was waiting for me to offer her a third time before she accepted it. And you, uh, and you insist, and then they resist, and you insist, and you resist. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it goes on forever. And, and yes, and I didn't insist, and she was hungry. And the poor thing is, yeah, I know. she's staring <laughs> at the food with white eyes. Yeah. Have Finally. you seen Persians having dinner together? Yeah. It's like a wrestling match afterwards. You <laughs> trying to wrestle the, the, the bill from each other's hands. Yeah. It's uh, it's great. I, I love those big Persian. Another thing I wanted to do, and I'm sure you you probably observed where not too many people have the perception is that the Iranian women are uh, sort of have to be forced under the veil and they're persecuted and they you know basically discriminated against, and that is just simply not true. Of course, you should not. see some of the pictures of Persian women. Oh boy, I like Modern, I see without they the do pictures. Veil, but it's a colorful, you know, very fashionable thing that they barely covers any hair and they all have blonde hair, by the way. Yeah, whether they do or not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, in, in, in another story that hasn't been published yet, I describe it as a God given hazel eyes and a L'Oreal given blonde hair. It, uh, there's a running joke, I probably shouldn't tell, but there's a running joke that the uh, beautiful uh, Persian women, when they reach a certain age, their hair turns copper red, and, <laughs> yeah. and the calves expand and they get shorter. We haven't figured that out yet. But <laughs> it, it, It's amazing. Everybody my age, and you know, everybody of my contemporaries, now have almost blonde hair. 
Baha'i woman went to pharmacology, studied pharmacology, and the man did a, was a very good, had been doing a very good job in the restaurant, but he, he could barely speak English. I would go there and I had him study his English uh, while he was doing waiting at the sign. Well, he got a job in, uh, somebody hired him basically to join his company, his shoe company. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he became the manager of multiple stores. Now he's the manager of the whole company, and she's a ph- pharmacist. What a wonderful combination. <laughs> They're doing well. It's a shoe company that he joined. That's quite a leap from working in the restaurant and not being able to speak the language very well to running the yeah. entire shoe company. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, uh, you know, they, they sort of apply themselves and then they sort of you know, learn how to adapt. And uh, these, they, when I first met them, they've been in the States less than a year. Wow. And within a couple of years or so, they both had very good jobs and education. And, you know, I'm, I haven't seen them in, in, long, in many years, but uh, I'm sure by now you know, they probably have children. And you know, the children are grown as, as, and being successful and educated and all that. It's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great example of uh, the hardships that you know, immigrant groups, in this case Baha'i Iranians, had to face to overcome and to adapt and to make a good life for themselves in this country. There is a certain amount of, um, I don't know whether stick-to-itiveness or a feeling of a positive manifest destiny, mm. that if I do what I'm supposed to do, everything's going to be okay, or at least I'll survive. Uh, you don't give yeah. up. Yeah. You know, you, uh, this is another yeah. challenge with another challenge to be successful. Yeah. I've noticed... I, I, I also heard one statistic uh, this years ago, I think 2006, is a UNESCO statistic of the different, group, different immigration groups and how much uh, uh, government support they are receiving. Of Iranian-Americans, guess how many? I give up. <laughs> one. What? <laughs> there was one woman who didn't have a family who was dependent on the government assistance among the Iranian Americans in, in 2006, according to a UNESCO statistics. That's amazing. Yes, and I think another, another aspect of it is family and family bonds. And, uh, you know, it could be really uh, annoying because, you know, the Persians tend to take their family everywhere. Yeah. You go to any wedding, you have to have to get children or the people who were not even invited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, they go to the drive-in movie, they got them stuffed in the trunk and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen that. You know, uh, interesting is that I'm I am a also a Baha'i of Jewish heritage. Mm-hmm. Raised Jewish, and also embraced Baha'i. My my folks wrote the uh, Rabbi uh, Raphael Levine said, "Well, what what is this nonsense? You know, what what has my son done? Is he joined some cult or something?" And the Rabbi wrote back and said, "Congratulations, on your thank son. you. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on your son becoming a Baha'i. There's no conflict between Judaism and Baha'i <laughs> whatsoever." So anyway, uh, I always get a negative kick out of looking at the anti-Semitic websites. You know the ones where yeah. they, they hate the Jews? Well, guess what? They hate the pies, too. <laughs> you know, it says, yes. don't be yeah, fooled. Don't be fooled. Yeah. These pies are just like the damn Jews. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, and, and 
and I hope that you, you do on your show, if you haven't already, I think the plight of the Baha'is in Iran is something that really should be brought into attention. Yes. Well, I've been reading the news you know, releases that people are being arrested like again. Pardon me? I saw recently in the news that more Baha'is are being arrested and uh, persecuted again. Again, yes. Yeah, I just heard today from a friend of mine that uh, an aunt of his, uh, who was, who was uh, Baha'i, and I guess you know, you know better than how this, uh, the leadership of the Baha'i groups in different cities that works, that they actually cut off her head in Iran. Yipes. Well, that's certainly going to make a good public impression of the government. That's uh, I mean, what kind of international pressure could be brought? At least, at least a few uh, decades ago, in America, where that sort of thing would happen, the uh, or even back in the days of the Shah, when the clergy would start persecuting the Baha'is, uh, uh, the American government would say, "Hey, lighten up! You know, we don't like that." You know, you know in, in the, during the days of the Shah, I never heard of such a thing. Otherwise. As a matter of fact, I was very good friends. Uh, my parents had very good friends with Baha'is. And the only thing was that when they had parties, they wouldn't disturb any liquor. Hmm. That was the only thing wrong with the Baha'is. <laughs> <laughs> we, want, we want the refreshments changed. <laughs> <laughs> now, nobody serves liquor. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, an enforced, uh, it's strange... Trying to enforce behavior on people is never a wise idea. You know, uh, you try to force people to do things, even if it's something they do on their own, they object, and probably rightfully so. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a self serving uh, uh, process. And honestly, I hate to sound like a heathen, which I am, uh, it's basically that's what religion does. It separates people, it uh, vilifies people, uh, and you know, it's not new. Iran is not the only country doing it. I was uh, just reminded the other day of uh, the St. Bartholomew's Day massacre in 1870, uh, sorry, 1570 in France, where as many as 70,000 people were killed in one night. Yipes! Protestants by Catholics. And it's, you know, that's what religion brings. And the tragic thing is that the word religion means to reunite, to bring together again. Bring their own groups that is going to basically support them together and give them money together, but not everybody else. Yeah, to say if it causes that sort of disunity, it would be better if it didn't exist. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, very, it's very simplistic. You know, in order to to create an us, you have to create a them, and then you have to assign them as evil and us uh, as good. You no, know, Doctor Scott Bond. Yeah, Doctor Scott Bond, who we've had on the show several times, and a great supporter of the program. We've been a big supporter of his work. Uh, he wrote the book *Mass Deception and America's Invasion of Iraq*. He's a sociologist, and he was watching the news, and the first time he heard. Bush used the term evil in regards yeah, to... Yeah, exactly. Then he went, bam! Because as a sociologist, he knew when you start calling something evil, you have something in mind, this evil. Yeah. <laughs> you don't say that unless you want to portray that person as something or that country as someone that can't be reasoned with, someone that can't be negotiated with, and someone you just kill or suppress. 
And so we knew there was something was up. So we started documenting every time that was used in what context. And it was sure enough, it led up to the invasion of the country. And that was his master's thesis for sociology. And then it was published and became quite well known, as, as did he. But you, yeah, got to pay attention to the words. The words are very. You remember, uh, you said you remember uh, 1979. Yeah. You remember John Lennon's "Imagine." Mm. Imagine no religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really tragic. As uh, Abdul Baha, who was uh, one of the uh, most important yeah. figures in the Baha'i faith, said, "There is no them. There's just us." There is yeah, no them. Uh, I don't know much about it, but uh, it started off as a, as a sort of a mystical. Yeah, by 1844, May 23rd, 1844 is when it started. But uh, it, that whole thing of changing one's mindset to not see a them, not see an other. But that we're all we're all bozos on this bus. <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. we're all the same sinking boat here. They turn into the other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, uh, what's the name? Elaine... Uh, I don't know if I can pronounce her name properly. She wrote the book uh, "The Origin of Satan," and, uh-huh. it's, and it's how that how this imaginary character, the so-called like bad god, you know, in duality, uh, yeah, 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 was created over, over time to portray someone you don't like, a group you don't exactly. like. But prior it's to that, you didn't to have that, yeah, and you could call them evil and not like them. You know those episodes. You, 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 you want to hear something funny? Or yes. Uh, they claim or some claim. I really don't know about it all that much. But that that uh, Christianity basically derived from Judaism. Mm-hmm. But in Judaism, there's no concept of good and evil, and basically uh, God and devil. Of but course. You know yeah. what is it? The concept is what that concept is within Zoroastrianism. Yeah, well, there was Zoroastrianism got its duality went way too far yeah. with that whole thing. If you have yeah. a Uhura Mazda, which means unbounding light, and that's uh, God. But then they started building up this other character <laughs> to where it all yeah, was. Yeah, who, who is as powerful as as, as God? Yeah, which isn't uh, doesn't work well, and you wind up with this very confusing duality. And you see it also in some branches of Christianity. Uh, where they just have this like a soccer match between two teams. And, you know, you go, wait a second, what happened to the all powerful, the all merciful? If he's got a bad, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the loser is evil. <laughs> yeah, the guy not your hometown is evil. Yeah, someone was talking about evil spirits, right? What was evil spirits say? Listen, if they're dead uh, and they were evil, God's not going to let them borrow the car or use the phone, let alone harass you. <laughs> You know, you see in, in today's media, basically one group of media, we shall remain unnamed, vilifying the other and vice versa. Yeah. To the point where listeners of one TV station are the devils, are the good, are the, and the other ones are the evil and the <laughs> vile and the bad. No, they both say the same thing about the other. Exactly. They both use, they both use the same device of vilification to... Basically, the same population. Thereby dividing that population. Yeah, I try to mention that to people. <laughs> Just think of, wait a second, does it promote unity? So people have the idea we've got to solve our problems and then we'll become unified. No, it's the yeah. act of being unified, not the same, not being exactly the same. You can have different approaches yeah. to solving the problem. But if you're united in your purpose, 
and your goal of working together to solve a problem. Exactly. That, that unity itself propels you towards the solution. You don't get the solution if you're at odds with one another. No, because it serves those patients better if they divide and capture their, their segment of the audience. In a place like America, which is, is predominantly homogenous, you know, despite the different ethnic groups or whatever, the culture itself is pretty homogenous. And to deliberately inject that divisiveness in it is, is really not serving the population well. It was never designed to be that way. That was one of the great things about the United States of America, the entire original concept. Uh, in fact, what is a guy that uh, you've been on my show several times as a participant, and he's kind of a regular on Matt Allen's program, which comes on right after this, that uh, was promoting meritocracy as a, uh, mm -hmm. as a grounds for admission as an immigrant. I said, wait a second. What does it say on the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> send yeah, us your exactly. unwanted. The people you don't want, send them here. You know? Yeah. And, and now it's like, you know, there's the reason between people who allegedly want everybody to come to this country unchecked and who don't want anybody to step into this country. The yeah. reality is not so, but the media makes it that. Oh, yeah, I hear people talk about anchor babies. They say, wait a second, there's no such thing. Yeah. How can you be upset about something that doesn't actually exist? <laughs> because someone keeps talking about it, you know? Where, where, yeah. where is the reality of the situation here? Let me look it up. You know, this says that no one wins an argument unless it's about something you can look up in an encyclopedia or a dictionary or a law book. Yeah. But if it's just opinion, yeah, it's just opinion. Let me share with you something. I remember from probably 1982 or something. No, 1992. Um, remember the, the first Iraq war, the, uh, yep. the, the desert sand or something desert, like that? Desert storm. Desert storm, yeah. Yep. There was a scene where three Iraqi nomads or whatever were captured by Americans with their heads, their hands on their head, and they were shivering with fright. And the American soldier came and said, you're okay now, you're with America, you're safe now. That's what America was in 1992. Yes. And look how it has changed since then. Hey, you're not so safe now. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, everybody looks at it as an enemy, everybody looks at it as a threat. Everybody's uh, kind of those people out there, and we are better than them. And it's um, it's an unfortunate kind of patch that we're going through. I wonder why people fall for that. I'm sure there are studies. Because the media forces that. Yeah, but you can have the media push all sorts of nonsense. You can change the station and forget nonsense from the other channel. I mean, you know, it almost has yeah, to be a degree that, of participation. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, it's, they almost demand, and a lot of people look at the, 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 I think, at least in America, people look at their beliefs as their identity. And the media takes advantage of that. If, for example, you want to hold your gun because you feel like you should protect yourself, and you don't think that you know basically your resources should go to educating you know migrants that you know come to this country to, like in your perception, maybe you are already part of a belief system, belief group that is different from other people. It it. it solidifies the people into different groups based on what they force them to believe. 
So if you hold multiple beliefs, your level can be fluid through different I, groups. I'm very careful about my belief systems. I tend to like not to, to keep myself flexible. If I believe in something, I might not believe in the same thing tomorrow. Then, you know, I, I give, give myself the leeway. <laughs> yeah, well, that's pretty smart because you'll notice that whenever people tend to believe, they assume that God believes exactly as they do. And if they change their yeah. mind, then God changes his mind. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> probably God changes his mind a lot more often than people do. Yeah, I it's would. What, if I, were I would. Yeah, I think. What, what have I done wrong? I better start over. Yeah. What, what kind of mistake did I make with this? Nothing but ag- nothing but aggravation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You pissed me off. So you're done now. I'm going to send someone to get you. Uh, in your book. Persian Wars. Uh, how many uh, different countries or cultures do you deal with with these uh, the immigrants going to in your stories? Uh, I just started writing whatever came to my mind. And uh, this book is four stories. I've already written the second book and it's being uh, edited and published probably out sometime between March and May. And I'm working on a book uh, out in somewhere between July and the next Christmas. And uh, it's altogether maybe 12 stories. And they take place in different places and they're kind of different genres of stories. There's uh, actually the, the, the one I work at, very scary stories. Ooh, I like it's scary stories. Yeah, you love this one. It's the idea of, it's adapted from Faust, you know, who says the souls of stuff. There's what? There's, you know, how Faust, Dr. Faust. Yes, oh yes, yes. This, well, this version sort of takes that in think for basically she do this type of love lust and decadence. I like I lust this. and decadence. I participated in that oh, at times Sorry. of my life. But in the end, he realizes that it's maybe his own soul that drives and I guess destroys that. Yes, people do that. They destroy their own souls <laughs> out of anger towards somebody else. <laughs> it's a self-destructive. It's uh, you know, there's a good professor's beautiful, beautiful Persian poem. Uh, it's about a bird that is hawk that rises up the mountain. It's very proud. Of that. As far as I can see, the ocean, little mosquito fly. As he's flying, he gets hit by an apple and he's tumbling down. He turns back and sees the feather in his direction. Is a hawk's feather. And the hooshah becomes a partner, and then it's partner, that's So basically, we the past out there. I said, Matt, are you hearing him cutting out there? Is that uh, just my earphones? No. <laughs> uh, are, are, are you there, young man? I thought I lost I you there here. for a second. Uh, What's that? Oh, there's a fascinating movie on a similar topic. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but if you haven't, I would recommend it. It's the, uh, I think, the first starring film for Ryan Gosling. It's called The Believer. And it's about a neo-Nazi who's Jewish. I think I've seen it. Really a fantastic film. And uh, he is so conflicted that he's wearing his tallis underneath his swastika shirt. I mean, that's really conflicted. <laughs> And uh, he wants to blow up a synagogue. He wants to kill Jews. I don't want to give away the ending, but you can probably figure it out. Uh, 
You know, it's uh, amazing. It's uh, it, I found it one of the most fascinating films I'd seen in uh, in years. And uh, in fact, I own the film and I watched it every once in a while just to amaze myself by watching it again because the performances are great and the script I think is really fantastic. What is it called? The Believer, singular, the believer, yes. not believers plural, which is about sangria or something. But it stars Ryan Gosling. Uh, and it really is a fabulous Sounds film. Sounds fascinating. I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, see if you can get it and uh, watch it. It's really some great performances and uh, uh, interesting topic. Why someone could be that that strange and that conflicted. You know, it doesn't ever really give you why, how we got that way. Well, to a certain extent, uh, a little bit. Because, you see, Judaism, uh, no one cares what you believe. In fact, in the entire Hebrew Bible, the word believe only shows up once in the entire text. It just says, believe I am God. That's it. No one cares what you believe. It's a thought. You know, what, you got thought crimes now? We're going to persecute you for what you think? No. You just do what it says to do because it says to do it. Right? Yeah. It's not matter what you believe. It doesn't lead to anything. It doesn't change it, what, whatever. In, 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 this, in, in, in this movie, he doesn't... He doesn't. He basically rejects that he's Jewish, or he doesn't. He doesn't. Know, he doesn't want people to know. It's a secret. It. Yeah, he keeps that well hid. Then when someone know. brings that up, a reporter for the New York Times is interviewing him. He says, "Geez, Danny, you're very well spoken, and all these things. But how can you say all that when you're Jewish yourself?" He goes, "What? What did you say?" He said, "Well, Rabbi Needleman uh, said that you were bar mitzvah at a temple, or whatever." And he just freaks out, takes a gun out, puts it in the guy's mouth, and says, "If you tell anybody that." I'll kill myself. So, I mean, talk about conflict. Yeah. You know. Fascinating. Yeah, talk about human rights. They talk about being confused. Yeah. <laughs> Who am I anyway? <laughs> and what am I going to do about it? That's why they say you get two Jews together, you can get three opinions. Uh, you can believe anything you want. I have had people say, well, what do those such and such believe? And I'll say, well, that's a different question than what are they taught or what are the standards or what are the teachings of the faith. Yeah. They, the individuals believe all manner of nonsense. Yeah. It doesn't matter what people believe. It matters what they do, how they behave, how they treat yeah. each other. That's what Have matters. you seen this movie, Dogma? Is that the one with uh, what's his name and what's his name? And what's her name in it? It's, it's uh, uh, Matt Damon. Yes, it? yes. I've it's seen it several times. Yes. Yeah. I like it's that one. movie. Yeah, I love yeah, it. And uh, George George Carlin is in it playing a pope yeah. or a cardinal. Yeah, yeah, and, really, uh, it basically it sort of distinguishes between belief and an idea, basically. Yeah, it's very well done. I love that movie. It's very witty. Well, that's it. Amuses me greatly. Was Sarah Silverman? I think is in it. It's uh, interesting. The whole thing of. Someone going on about, about, do you believe this, do you believe that? And I had to explain, that's a concept that's only important yes. to Christians. If you're not a Christian, you don't care that. about that. Yeah, about you believing. believe that, therefore you are that. You know, is the next step. You know, you believe in uh, that, you know, Christ will uh, save you, then you are a Christian. It's, uh, well, you know, there is a, a, a clergyman, a guy had a big mega church here in America, one of those big mm -hmm. ones, and he had kind of an epiphany of logic, which was, if, if it were theologically true that Christ died for our sins, mm -hmm. truth is truth whether you know about it or believe it or not. It doesn't matter. 
So if it's yeah. true, you don't have to believe it for it to be true because it's already true, which means everybody's been saved and there's nothing to worry about. We could all be nice to each other. And they destroyed his church pretty much. It was the gospel of inclusion. No, we have to, we have, to have people, we have to go out and convert. No, if it's true, it doesn't matter because it's already taken care of. <laughs> You know, I've observed people in total exaltation in a church, and something that you know I marvel at, and I've never been able to accomplish myself. Then I've seen people who kind of you know thinking just in oh, Jesus, Jesus saved me. So what does that mean? You know, you pink difference. <laughs> it's like working for Mary Kay. You know, I'm gonna get a pink Cadillac. I get to go to heaven. Yeah. I get to go on a vacation to Bradford, Missouri. You know, it's all about me. <laughs> <laughs> it might be one hey, I get enough bonus points. <laughs> I go, no, yeah, no. And, you know, we've seen evidence of uh, people trying to take the earthly possessions to the other world. It doesn't work. This is a common. Yeah, you don't see a Brinks truck following the funeral procession onto the graveyard. Sorry, you should have said that before you died. Yeah. Well, there was a, there's a, a quote in Season Baha'u'llah, Rabbi Baha'u'llah, that says, if your goal was to make like a whole lot of money, you should have been planning that while you were still in the womb of your mother. Because ever since you reached maturity, you're on your way out. <laughs> you know, you've already yeah. lost your chance. If it isn't happening now, it's not happening. Yeah, it's like, so it's kind of like George, George Carlin routine. But, there are no highways in, the, in heaven. <laughs> you know, there's every, not an elevator. <laughs> Can I skip ahead in the line? Yeah. I always think you get a kick out of what people imagine... Our imaginations cannot conceive anything beyond what our own imaginations can conceive. We have a certain degree of limitation here. You know, the painting yeah. cannot comprehend the painter. No matter how beautiful the yeah. painting is, there's certain limitations. Yeah, you know, I'm already, I'm already resigned to the fact that I'm definitely going to end up in hell. And you know what? It's not such a bad idea because at least it's warm in hell. I hate it, the cold. Yeah, plus, weather. all your friends will be there. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, it could be disco dancing again. Oh, God. I'm not, it depends on what disco song it is. Disco is, is not rated as highly as it should be. If you go well, back to Disco Inferno. <laughs> oh, I love that one. Oh, that's a great one. I used to disco for Burn, Baby Burn, Disco Inferno. Yeah, the, yeah. Fun, the funk was about to explode. <laughs> I used to work at a disco, and I would play that one. I love in LA? Uh, actually, it's in Bellevue, Washington. It was called Emmett's. Uh -huh. And. Uh, Boy, that place was just packed. And I play a uh, Marvin Gaye one that goes on forever. Um, I can't remember. There was another one that was like the entire side of the album. Then you played it on. Yeah, and uh, oh, yeah, it was, but it was a, uh, a dance tune that took up the entire side of the album. Then you followed Donna Summer. Ooh, love to love you, baby. Donna Summer. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Johnny Guitar Watson, a real mother for you. <laughs> It's one of my favorites. I don't know that one. No, oh, that's a good one. Johnny Guitar Watson. He did some good stuff. And, of course, the Bee Gees, you know, Staying yeah. Alive and all that. That's great stuff. Boy, yeah. the Bee Gees, I, uh, I spent a wonderful afternoon with Andy Gibb, who's the younger brother of the... Is he really? Uh, wonderful. He's a great guy. We had a wonderful time. There lots of pictures of us hanging out together. Then he kills himself. A big decision. Poor career decision on his part. <laughs> my mom maybe yeah. promised never to kill myself which I have been tempted to do on a couple of occasions, but she said, never commit suicide because you can't change your mind. 
And she's right. Yeah, no, but uh, you know what? Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking the day that I'm going to be dependent on somebody else to feed me and to walk me and to clean me, I just buy a kilo of heroin, make sure there's fentanyl in it, and shoot it up. Yeah, that'll take care of you, all right. Yeah, and then go out, I go out happy. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think want I'll... It's too long to be dependent on it. I don't even know what's going on around me. Yeah, if you don't know, you don't know. Well, you can have those things. Please don't revive me, you know, if I'm dead. Uh, you can do that in your, uh, you know, when you go to the hospital, you sign up for me. If I, you know, take a real turn for the worst, either bring me back or don't bring me back. Let me stay there. Yeah, yeah. You can sign that, you know, and, and just go ahead and... Although sometimes they'll try to make a decision for you, <laughs> which is not the one you want. I had an episode where I wasn't getting enough oxygen, and they had an oxygen mask on me, and, but it wasn't doing anything. And I hear, listen, talk about unprofessionalism, listen to this. I hear the one nurse say to the other, he's not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you don't want to hear oh that. Do you remember that? You remember that thing about you? Yeah, you're not going to make it. Well, just then the doctor happened to walk by, and he said, oh, give him uh, you know, a 10cc of this and whatever, and I came back from the dead. But I remember hearing the nurse say I wasn't going to make it. That did not instill a lot of confidence in me. So do you remember what the other side was like? <laughs> the other side was like, go back, go back. We don't want you. <laughs> Not your town. <laughs> your we town. all booked up, huh? My friend Noba Jones uh, had one of those uh, near-death experiences where, you know, she dies and uh, she's watching. She can look down and see them moving her body around the hospital and all that stuff. She was never the same after that. <laughs> it gave a entirely different perspective on life when you've been outside of it. You can't always feel like a stranger mm. in a strange land, you know. Uh, I pity the poor immigrant who wishes he would have stayed home. That's kind of... <laughs> you know, I'm going to start thinking about the other world once I understand this world. <laughs> yeah. It's like we don't even understand the ocean. There are creatures in there I don't want to see face to face. And that's why sailors never, never go swimming in the ocean. <laughs> you know, I know I'm not rich enough and you know why? Why is that? I have no desire to go to outer space. Really? Uh, I no, don't blame you. What would I want to go to outer space? I have no idea. Stuck in a capsule, all alone, probably cold. Yeah. And, you know, talk about decisions that could go wrong. What if something goes wrong? I'd be floating up in the in the space. Yeah, it's not a good end. No chance of ever coming back to Earth. So, and it's pretty quiet up there. In space, no one can hear you scream, I want to go home. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's listening, though. Yeah, no one's listening. It's just a tragic story. Your book is called Persian Wars. Now, there yeah. are books about the Persian Wars, but this is one with a beautiful woman's face on the cover. And uh, isn't she gorgeous? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the other one is about the actual wars between uh, the Persians and the Greeks, Greek, yeah. uh, the Spartans. All Greek to me. And there's a lot of people say, why is it called wars? It's not really wars. So, well, Persian struggles don't sell. <laughs> yeah, they're busy beating themselves up for being Persians. <laughs> I apologize. I'm so sorry. Let me apologize tomorrow. <laughs> you know, the, the, I think I have to very quickly uh, talk about the diversity of people. The doctor, uh, God, I wrote a book for him too. He's very wealthy. He has the uh, shopping, the American Shopping Center in Tehran, this, that, and the other, worth millions. Uh, very successful surgeon, a gynecologist. Mm-hmm. He had a free clinic for women and of course his regular hospital stuff. And the Ayatollah, when he took over, confiscated everything this man had. 
Yeah. And he'd always said ahead of time, if there's ever any problem, he said, we're friends, I'll get an airplane, I'll put us all on the plane, and I'll fly us to America. Well, before he yeah. gave a chance to do that, the Ayatollah confiscated all of his money and all of his property. What's he yeah. going to do? Fortunately... And the Iranian Revolution had a Marxist component to it as well. I talk about it in one of the stories that's up in the volumes. Where they literally took the West and, uh, you know, the, a lot of people had factories and, you know, companies, whatever, employing you know, tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of people. And they took it all and basically nationalized it. Yeah. And uh, then they got stuck. For example, there was this company that had 10,000 employees, very, very successful company owned by a very successful businessman. They took, took it over from 10,000 employees, it's now down to 700. Oy. That's expansion for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, it's, uh, there's no, uh, talk about vilification. There's no vilification of of the wealthy people, of the West in general, in Islam. No. The Saudi princes. But in the Islamic revolution, there's a very sort of dominant element of Marxism and nationalism and uh, communism that, you know, kind of took a lot of hope. That's the real problem, is uh, people wind up not liking something and it isn't what they think it is. Exactly. I can hear by the fact that Rod Stewart is sneaking up on us. It's time to go. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Great pleasure. The book is called Persian Wars. I suggest you buy it, read it, believe it. I'm Bill Bear. I'll talk to you again next week on Outlaw Radio. The Baha'i Faith. Good deeds, nice people. And a history of being persecuted, abused, and insulted, let's face it, not everybody appreciates the teachings of the Baha'i Faith. The Baha'i Faith encourages racial unity and interracial harmony, so racists don't like it. The Baha'i Faith upholds the equality of women, so sexists don't like it. The Baha'i Faith proclaims the harmony of science and religion, so the superstitious don't like it. And because the Baha'i Faith teaches that tolerance and love are the very foundations of a healthy community— Extremist fanatics don't like it. So, if you're a racist, sexist, superstitious fanatic, chances are you won't like the Baha'is at all. But if you have an open mind and a kind heart, hey, call us. You sound like a Baha'i already. For more information on the Baha'i faith, simply look in the phone book under Baha'i, B-A-H-A apostrophe I.